not here this morning. He's preaching someplace else, and he preached in Little Rock, and he said to tell everybody that prayed for him this week, it went supernaturally well. Um, he had several he's, uh, healings like he did the last several meetings. The Lord has directed him to kind of do it this way, I guess the last several meetings, because uh, the last night of the meeting has kind of been like a healing night. And um, he's called out several things at the end of the meeting. And this particular one, he called out adhesions. And I bet you there was, I don't know how many, had to be over 50 plus people that came up with adhesions that maybe they'd had surgeries or something. And it was like adhesions on the inside of them. And they said they felt even like burnings and different things that were taking place on the inside of them. And they knew that they were healed. And they just lined up on both sides of the auditorium and things just happening in them, you know. And brain things that were happening in people and just different things that are happening. And so uh, uh, all sorts of things are happening, you know. So uh, um, good things are happening out there on the road. And uh, there's, there's a different anointing out there on the road than there even is when he's here at home. And some people say, well, why is that? And I thought of something. Well, I didn't actually think of it. Janet's not back in here yet, or I'd kind of embarrass her and make her stand up a little bit. The other day, we were having employee prayer, and we were talking about some of this stuff. And we were talking about how things happen and and kind of pulling on the anointing. And a lot of people don't know what you mean when you're talking about that sort of thing, you know, and how um, to get more manifestations out of the anointing and how to get greater things happening here in our own church, you know. And uh, Janet was just saying there, she said, I had to kind of check myself. She said, because I was sitting there and her own daughter was up here preaching last Sunday. I don't know if you know it or not, but Janet's in the choir, you know, and leads a lot of times and stuff. And she'll round that corner here in a minute and I'll embarrass her. But anyway, um, uh, her daughter was up here and she said when she was up here, she said it was like I was on the edge of my seat trying to help her. It's like if I could have helped her in any way, you know, and how many of you were like that last week? It was like, with the youth, because you wanted to help them so much. It was like you were right on the edge. I know I was over here. You know, you could see me. And, and you know, a lot of them were looking at me, you know, because that was their comfort zone, because that's what they had done before, you know, and so they'd look at me. But we were all kind of like on the edge of our seat trying to help them. Do you understand what I'm saying? And so when Keith is saying something like, help me, He's not talking about you just saying amen. You weren't saying amen every other breath last Sunday. But you were on the edge of your seat trying to help them. And if we, but she said, what she said was, but you know what, with Brother Keith, what we do is we are like, oh, he can just do it whether we help him or not. And even if he just did it halfway, it'd still be good. That's what she said. And I thought, you know, And I had to repent right there in front of my whole staff. Because I thought, you know what? That's the truth. I sit there and I don't do it. You know, I don't pull on him the way I was helping the youth. I lean back. And I just kind of say, give us what you got, bud. (laughs) I know you prayed last night. I slept. Bless me. Tell me what the Lord said for you. You've been doing it 35, 40 years. Tell us what God said. Tell us. 
But with the youth, it's kind of like, they're young. They hadn't done this much. Let's help them all we can. But if we did that every service, what could God do for us? If we expected something every service the way we expected it last week, what could he do for us? Instead of just coming in here and saying, ho-hum, another church service. Well, you know, as I was thinking about that, I was thinking about that's the way that people are with God. They look at God like ho-hum. I know he exists. I know he's there. But ho-hum. He's out there. Almost like some people think you, it's almost like, I hate to say this, but some people think of Buddha or Muhammad. And they're going to get the exact same results. Right, Janet? <laughs> Wave at us. But you know, if I could do anything in here this morning, my greatest desire and my heart's desire would be for you to believe that God is as real as Dave standing right here next to me. And he is as close to you as Dave is to me right now, or as Kim is to me right now. But we don't believe that. If we believed it, we would have more, we would see more, we would receive more. We have put God off into this forever realm. And we maybe got saved and maybe received something from Him. But we really don't believe God is. Not like we believe our husband is, or we believe our wife is, or can do as much as our husband can for us, or our wife can for us. If Dan tells Shireen, Shireen, would you go and do this for me? He expects that she will go and do that for him, because she's here and he can see her. If Connie asked Jim, Jim, would you go and do this for me? He can, she can see him, so she's expecting some kind of result. But we've come to a point with God 
that because we can't see him, we're really, really not even believing that he really is. And in order to receive anything from God, we have to believe that he is. That he is and he's, he is with us. And that he is who he says he is. Let me read you a couple of scriptures. I just got, I mean, overjoyed just reading these scriptures. That's why reading your Bible is so wonderful. You don't even have to turn to them. I don't know if you can keep up with me. Genesis says, God is with you in everything you do. Now, we don't believe that. God is with you in everything you do. Now, if we believe that, we just wouldn't do some things. We just wouldn't. If we believe God is with you in every... Genesis, mark it in your Bible. 21, 22 in the Amplified says, God is with you in everything you do. You just wouldn't do some things if you really believe that. But God is. Whether you believe it or not, He is. Okay? And then um, Deuteronomy says, For the Lord thy God is merciful, and He will not forsake thee, neither destroy thee, nor forget thee. The NIV says, The Lord your God is the one who goes out and fights against your enemies. To give you victory. God is. And he fights for you. But we don't believe that. Or we wouldn't be trying to fight for ourselves all the time. We don't believe these things. It's there, but we really, 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 really don't believe it. We hear it. We see it. But we really have trouble believing it. Because if we really, really believed it, if somebody did us wrong, we wouldn't try to fix it ourselves. Right? But we do. We're all the time trying to fix it. Deuteronomy. I'm just, I don't have time to go into all these. This isn't even my sermon. I just thought you, it stirred me up, so I thought it might stir you up. It says, um, like Keith says, this part's free. I'm not going to charge you for it. It says, in Deuteronomy, it says, um, He gives us the land that flows with milk and honey. Well, if He gives us that land, then does He give it to us now? Is He the same yesterday, today, and forever? Do you have a land that's flowing with milk and honey? No, you don't. Why are you broke? Huh? Where's your land at? Huh? Do you believe it? We're going to get there, though. Hang on. Don't quit. Get on the edge of your seat now. Come on. Help me. I'm just a youth, really. He gives it to us. 
It says God is your refuge. Can you hide in him? Will he protect you? Joshua said, for the Lord thy God is with thee wherever you go. Uh Uh-oh. When you went in that bar, you went with that woman. Uh Uh-oh. He was with you wherever you go. When you told that lie, you stole that money. He was with you wherever you go. We don't believe that. If we believed it, we wouldn't do it. Okay? Second Samuel says, God is my strength and my power. And he makes my way perfect. You believe it? Do you believe it? Then why ain't your way perfect? Right? God is our refuge and our strength. A very present help in time of trouble. The Amplified says, God is faithful, reliable, trustworthy, and therefore ever true to his promise. He can be depended on. But here's where the glitch comes. Hebrews 11.6 Without faith, it's impossible to please him. And he that comes to God must believe that he is. You gotta believe that he's there. Not just some big something sitting up in some big throne in heaven. You gotta change your mentality about who God is. Who is God to you? What is God to you? An it? A cartoon character? A Bible figure? A comic book character? Who is God to you? What is he to you? Let's find out this morning, okay? Let's get closer. Okay, it says we must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. The Amplified says, but without faith, it's impossible to please him and be satisfactory to him for whatever. But for whoever would come near to God must necessarily believe that God exists. Now, you're in church this morning, so I think you believe he exists in church. But do you believe he exists in your job? 
Do you believe he exists in your house? Do you believe he exists in your car? Do you believe he exists when you're beating your child? Do you believe he exists when you're stealing that money? Do you believe he exists when you're having that affair? Do you believe he exists when you're... When do you believe he exists? Part of the time or all the time? God exists. Okay? My favorite is Exodus. Anybody guess what it says? He said to Moses, what? Moses says, who are you? They say, who are you? I just, I am. How do we describe you? I am. I just am. That's me. I am. Where am you? I just am. You there? I am. You here? I am. You over there? I am. You in trouble? I am. You hurting? I am. You high? I am. You low? I am. You rich? I am. You poor? I am. You sick? I am. You well? I am. You got a hurting marriage? I am. You got a strong marriage? I am. I just am. I am in the day. I am in the night. I am in your pajamas. I am in your best suit. I am when you go to bed. I am when you get up. I just am. And I am not going to change. I just am. You can depend on it. I am. Is there any time that you can say, I'm not? No, because I am. Whatever it is, I am. What's your question? I am. That should answer it. So this morning, after reading those things to you, letting you know he does exist, I want to talk to you about his grace. I think it's a very, very misunderstood subject, and it's something that most people have never tapped into. Never. Because they've not understood it. There's something called saving grace. What is that? It's the grace wherewith you need to get saved. Duh. But people get confused about that. Let's read a couple of scriptures. Ephesians. Turn with me there. Ephesians 2, 8. I wish I could convince people that 
the greatest joy of your life was doing what God said and serving Him. No matter if you ever got a dime out of it or not. My greatest joy, people don't believe this. People think, Keith and I, I think, letters that we've gotten and stuff, serve God for the money. Well, there's people that know us pretty well that would be able to tell you differently in a hurry. We serve God for the desire of the enlightenment of helping other people overcome whatever's going on in their life. That's the greatest joy of your life. Is being able to see someone that the devil has put under his thumb and under his feet and you be able to give them some kind of truth or revelation that brings them up and out of that pit that the devil has had them in. There's no money in the world that that will satisfy you like that will. There is none. There's no house. There's no car. There's no jewelry. There's nothing that will satisfy you like that. And until you've discovered that, you'll not be happy. And that's what God wants for you. The money things are just benefits that are added to the side because of that. That's why he has that verse, seek ye first. And all these other things, they'll just fall along. They'll follow you. They'll come. But re- read this with me. Ephesians 2, verse 8. For by grace, say that with me. Every time we say grace today, say it with me. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is what? A gift of God. A gift of God. Now the Amplified says it this way. For it is by free grace. God's unmerited favor. That you're saved. Delivered from judgment and made partakers of Christ's salvation through your faith. And this salvation is not of yourselves and of your own doing. It came not through your own striving, but it is a gift of God. Not by works, not the fulfillment of the law's demands, lest any should boast... It is the result of what anyone can do. It is not the result of anyone can do uh, so that no one can pride himself or take glory to himself. It is a gift that God gave us that we can become saved. Now, let me ask you a question. Can I give myself a gift? I can buy something for myself, but I can't truly give myself a gift. Keep that in mind as we read this next one. John 6.44. Some of you are believing for people to get saved. How many of you are believing for someone to get saved or come to the Lord? This may help you tremendously. So pay close attention. 
John 6.44. No man. Say no man. So who does that leave out? What about yourself? What about this person you're believing for? What about that person that does so many wonderful things for God? What about Aunt Susie that's such a wonderful, loving person? No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him. The Amplified says, No one is able to come to me unless the Father who sent me attracts and draws him and gives him the desire to come to me. Now, back up to your scripture before where it says gift. Are you good and confused now? Did Jesus die for everyone? Absolutely. Why did I spend so much time at the beginning saying God existed? This scripture right here says, For by grace you are saved through what? What is faith? Who do you have faith in? Who do you have to believe exist? You have to believe God exists before you can even get saved. Then it is by His grace, once you believe, that He exists. There's people out there. You've seen them. I've seen them. They mock God. They say things like, first bus load, I'll be in the first bus that goes to hell. Ha, ha, ha. You ever heard them? They mock the things of God. They make fun of the things of God. Getting saved and God drawing people to him is a matter of one's heart. God knows a man's heart. Let's look at Paul just a minute. Acts 7. It talks about here for just a second that they were stoning Stephen. And what was Paul doing? Holding the clothes for them. Then in Acts 8, it says, 
Acts 8, 1, it says Saul was not only, in the Amplified, Saul was not only consenting to Stephen's death, he was pleased and entirely approving. And then in verse 3 it says, But Saul shamefully treated and laid waste the church continuously with cruelty and violence, and entering house after house, he dragged out men and women and committed them into prison. Now, was he basically mean? And he was killing Christians. And he was doing all he could to hurt God. But what happened? Do you remember it? Acts 9. Verse 3. As he journeyed and came near Damascus, suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And the Lord asked him why he persecuted him. And you know the story. It's hard for him to kick against the pricks. How many of you, these people that you're believing for, how many of you truly believe that at some point or another they have heard something wonderful about the Lord? How many of you believe at that point in time they had a choice? What do you think they did at that choice? Huh? Did you have a choice? Now, that doesn't mean that that choice can't come up again. What did Saul do? 1 Corinthians chapter 15. For I am the least of the apostles, that I am not meet to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God, but by the... Y'all asleep? Chapter uh, 15, verse 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the Grace. grace of God, which was with me. The Amplified says, For I am the least worthy of the apostles. And down in uh, verse 10 it says, I worked harder than them all. So in other words, the worse you are, the harder you should work. Right? The worse you were before you got saved, the harder you should work when you do get saved. That's Paul's example. Right? So maybe you're not saved in here this morning. And maybe you think, I was a scoundrel. I was evil. Still am. Doing horrible, bad things. 
couldn't be any worse than going out killing all the Christians. That's what he was doing. He was going out and say, everybody you see in here today, you take them outside and stone them. That's a Christian. Well, that's what Paul was doing. But the Lord appeared to him, said, you need to get saved. What did he do? He got saved and he served God stronger than everybody. So that is his saving grace. He will come to people and he'll deal with them. Hey, you're not right. You need to get right. That is his saving grace. Then they have a choice to make at that point. He will present it to them. They have a choice. Then he will change them. Just like Paul. From being evil to being absolutely wonderful and serving God wholehearted. But then once you get saved, there's another step. There's another grace. And this is where most of us live. It's called standing grace. Could you use some more of that? I think I could use it every day. What about y'all? You interested in it? Well, let's find out about it. John, chapter 1. So that person that you're praying for to get saved, continue praying that laborers will go across his path. Don't just pray that they'll get saved. Pray, Lord, send laborers across their path again. Have mercy on them. We'll talk about mercy here in a few minutes, okay? That laborers will go across their path, that they'll see it again and see it again. Because it is your gift. We ask you for your gift of salvation on their life. Send laborers. They could get saved today. You could get saved today. Okay, standing grace. John 1. For the law was given by Moses, but... Y'all there? John 1.17, did I tell you right? For the law was given by Moses, but... Grace... And truth came by Jesus Christ. Let's read it in the Amplified. Maybe it'll help us understand it a little better. John 117 Amplified. For while the law was given through Moses, grace, some of you are saying it, some of you are not. Let's read it again. For while the law was given through Moses, Unearned, undeserved favor and spiritual blessing. How many of you could use some of that? Unearned, undeserved favor and spiritual blessing and truth came through Jesus Christ. Okay? So why don't I got none of it, Lord? Be honest. Right? You want to know? Romans. 
I like to answer scripture with scripture, don't you? My opinion don't really matter much. Romans 4.16. Then I'll tell you a couple of ideas. Therefore, it is what? That it might be by grace. The Amplified says, Therefore, inheriting the promise is the outcome of faith and depends entirely on faith in order that it might be given As an act of grace. God's unmerited favor. To make it stable and valid and guaranteed to everyone but me. Not only to the devotees and adherents of the law, but also to those who share the faith of Abraham who is thus the father of us all. So how do you get grace? How does everything come from God? Everything. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. It takes faith to receive anything from God. But faith is so misunderstood. You say faith. Everybody goes, great. There's that word again. This is the most simplest, basic, Ned in the first reader, Jack and Jill went up the hill, first book you ever read kind of faith. You gotta believe that God exists to get His grace. You gotta believe that He's there with you all the time. You gotta call on Him. You gotta believe He hears you. You gotta believe He's as close to you as Jim is to me right now. All the time. Or even closer, the Holy Ghost inside you. you got to believe that. But what happens is, we keep God off in the heavens. And He's there, and we're here, and He doesn't really care what's going on with us. And if we could ever just get Him touched with the feelings of our emotions... We could move him. And he would do something for us. Well, I got news for you. He's never going to be touched with the feelings of your emotions. That's some love song you heard. He's only going to be touched with your faith. 
And the moment that you believe that He is and that He exists and you call on Him in faith is when you will receive His grace. Grace comes by knowing that He is there and that He cares. Just that simple. It's not hard. It's not complicated. Jeremy, does Isabel know you exist? Do you care? Do you want her to know you're there? Does she know you exist even when you're gone out of town for a week? Does she know she can call you when you're out of town for a week if something's wrong with her? Angie, can you call him and say she really wants this? Will you try to find it far and get it far? Even if she can't see your face. Will you still try to do it? Why is that? Because you love her. But you're not there. But you exist. But you're not there. You're gone for weeks at a time sometime. What about God? Does he exist? Does he love you? Will he do things for you even though you can't see him? Will you tell Angie to go get that for her? If you want her to have it? Could God deal with Mo to go and get this for Jean if he wanted her to have it? Huh? Even though he's not here? If you went to him and said, God, I know you exist. You know my rent's due tomorrow. I'm calling upon your grace. I don't deserve it. I blew it. But I still need it. I spent that money on this thing and I shouldn't have. But I'm still calling on your grace, God. Has Isabel ever missed it? You still wanted to buy it for her, right? Just because you loved her. Tell her to go get it anyway, just because I love her. Would you still go do that for her just because God loves her? Absolutely in a heartbeat. Now, God's not here. But how many of you are children of God? And how many of you, if he dealt with you and told you to do something for somebody, you'd do it? So he can use you in a heartbeat. He's not confused about that. Let's keep going. Romans 5. Verse 2. By whom we have access 
by faith into this grace. Wherein we do what? You ever had trouble standing? Why would you have trouble standing? Because you don't know you can call on that grace. Because you messed up. How many in here has never messed up? How many in here's parents? How many in you in here your kids has ever messed up? How many in here still want to do something for your kids? How many in here reckon God still wants to do something for his kids? Amen. Don't be confused. Don't hyper-spiritualize or super-spiritualize or whatever word you use. By faith into his grace, we stand. We believe he exists. We believe he loves us. So we messed up. We come. We know he's there. We know he has grace. The Amplified says, through him, we have access or entrance. Introduction by faith to stand in this grace. State of God's favor. In which we firmly and safely stand. Now let me ask you a question. Well, let me read this to you first. First. Hebrews 11.1. 1. Everybody knows what it said, but I'm going to read it to you in the Amplified. Now, faith is the assurance, the confirmation, the what? The title deed of things we hope for, being the proof of things we do not see and the conviction of their reality, faith perceiving as a real fact what is not revealed to the senses. The title deed. Now, let me ask you a quick question. Say, for instance, you live in a house that is really, 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 really run down. I mean, it's in bad shape. You can see the critters crawling underneath it. The running water is, doesn't run half the time. The electricity, every time you turn it on, it throws a breaker. And the hot water heater throws, and this happens, and it's just in really, really, really bad shape. But that's where you are. But God dealt with somebody, say your next door neighbor, and they live, say it's close from here to that wall right there. And they have a million dollar house. It's sitting there and it's paid for. It's got running water and it's got lights and it's got electricity. Really nice, four-bedroom, three baths, beautiful hardwood floors, everything in it brand new. And the Lord dealt with them to give you that. Now, you're still in your old house, but they have the deed. And they said, now, you've got to take this deed and you've got to go down to the courthouse. And you've got to register it in your name. You've got to get all the utilities turned on. 
got to change everything over into your name. You know you have to do that, right? But you have had odds and lack of a better word, hate every person you have to come in contact with at every one of those offices. Where you have to file the title deed is your mother-in-law. And you can't stand her. And you'd rather do anything than come in contact with her. But you are the one that has to do it. No one else can do it for you. You have to go down there and do it. And you just absolutely refuse to do it. So you sit there year after year after year after year and grumble and complain about your conditions. About what your house is like. And you have to sit there and look out the window at how pretty that house is. How wonderful it would be to sit in that window and overlook the lake and sit on the back porch and drink your coffee. It even has a swimming pool. I'm going to do it today. I'm going to go do it. But you get to thinking about it. And you just get to thinking about what they did to you. And how mean they are. And you just refuse. You get in the car, you get out. That fire just wells up in you and you just grumble, 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 grumble. You just don't know what they did to me. And you just refuse to go down there. What did the children of Israel do? How many years did they do that? When they could have possessed, in how long? Days. They sat there in their conditions, refused to receive God's grace by faith. It was there for them all along. God's unmerited favor, His grace, He did things for them over and over and over again. But you have to receive it, just like what Dave was saying about his the offering today. Let me change it for just one second. We'll come back to that, the children of Israel and your house. Now, we know this in sports. Just a stupid game. Like, well, I won't call it stupid. I may get stoned. Like basketball. <laughs> I'll say a carnal game like basketball. Okay, how's that? You have an opponent. They're called a guard, if I'm not mistaken. And you have to overcome that guard in order to make a basket. Is that right? But there are people that'll sweat, they'll fight, they'll give it everything they've got to get that ball down that court and get it in that basket. Is that right? But they wouldn't do that 
for anything to receive from God. To resist the devil, the opponent. Same thing on a football field. They want to make that touchdown. Now, there's something called a what? Defense? Now, the quarterback, this has never made sense to me, okay? I'm not a football player. Is not a lot of times much bigger than I am. The quarterback, right? I mean, quarterback's the smallest guy on the team, right? Why would you make the quarterback the smallest guy on the team when he's got to run down and the defense is going to smush him? Pulverize him? The defense is the biggest guys on the team. But he's got to overcome all of them. Right? To make a touchdown. But he is willing to be bruised and uh, we've talked to professional football players. Be half paralyzed the rest of his life. And the defense too. They're willing to ruin their whole lives. To get a... But they're unwilling to fight the devil for 30 seconds. And whatever obstacle he has put in their way. If the devil puts any kind of obstacle in people's way, I can't take it. Oh, God. But that's what His grace is for. To help you to be able to stand. That's what the defense is. That's what the guards are. But you do have to get up and start in that direction to that title office. You have to say, I'm going. Did the children of Israel have to defeat any enemy on their own? Not one. God was there to take care of everything for them. But they did have to believe. And they did have to take steps in that direction. And every time they did, God was there to meet them. But what happens to people is they refuse to get up and take one step. They will sit there in their houses... And cry. And you cannot receive God's grace without that step of faith. You must begin in faith. You must believe that He's there. You must believe that He exists and He's going to help you. God's grace will make you stand. You don't know but what you could get to that title office. And your mother-in-law may say, just recently we had a deal where somebody told us they'd had odds with a family member for years and years and years. And they relieved them of a, a, a debt that was tens of thousands of dollars. Just recently. You don't know but what you get there. This person may tell you, I love you. I'm so glad you came. I'm so sorry for what I did. I, you don't know. But you must 
Get up. Get out of that safety net. Get out of that place where you are. Step out by faith and say, God, I can't do this on my own. But I don't have to do this on my own. I put all my trust in you. Here we go, God. Then His grace is there for you. Because you ain't big enough. I don't care if you are the whole defensive line of some football team to do it on your own. But His grace is big enough to do it, to take care of anything. Let me tell you some things that grace are. Anything you earn is not favor or grace. So if you figured out a way, sitting there in your house, to make it right with your mother-in-law, it's not His grace. And that's what people try to do. They try to sit there and figure out a way, well, if I do this, maybe she'll like me a little bit and I can get that house. That's not God's grace. That's you figuring it out. Anything you feel like someone owes you is not favor or grace. Grace is something... That there is no obligation by anyone to do for you. No obligation whatsoever. God owes you nothing to give you His grace. Nothing. I... I don't know of anybody I owe anything to. There's a lot of people that think I owe them something. (laughs) But I don't. The same with you. If you want to do something for someone, that's left up to you. But the moment that they begin feeling like you owe something to them... It changes the picture of things. Grace is something that there's absolutely no obligation to do. Grace is getting what you do not deserve. So in other words, if you've missed it really, really big, you're a perfect candidate for God's grace. If you've really, really, really messed up and blown it over and over and over again... Say, I'm, I'm a candidate. Here, that's me. That's, yeah, that's me. I've blown it over and over again. God, grace, 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 grace. That's me. Perfect candidate. Now, mercy is different from grace. You want to know the difference? Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. Big difference. Mercy is when you deserve to go to jail, you don't have to go. Mercy is when you die and deserve to go to hell, you don't have to go. Mercy is when when you're supposed to have to pay all that debt. 
because you messed up, they say, you know what? We're going to write it off. We love you. Taken care of. That's mercy because you messed it up. That's mercy. Mercy is there to help us when we've missed it. Grace is there to help keep us from missing it. Grace is there to help us to stand. It's that defensive line. It's there that when we step out, it keeps us from messing up. Mercy's there. When we've already missed it, we call on His mercy. Oh God, I messed up. Don't let them stone me. Don't let them come get me. But you gotta call on that mercy. You gotta know He exists. You gotta ask Him for help. Pride is a bad thing. You get resisted when you get into pride. For His grace and His mercy, you gotta acknowledge that He exists and you gotta call on Him. He is there. Second Peter 3, verse 18. It says, but growing grace. Did you know you could grow in grace? Grow in grace. And in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The Amplified says, But grow in grace, undeserved favor, spiritual strength, recognition and knowledge and understanding of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So what you should get out of that in the Amplified is, If you grow in spiritual understanding of our Lord and Savior and recognition and knowledge of Him, what's going to happen? You're going to grow in grace. The more knowledge you have of Him, the more you're going to acknowledge, I need His grace. I can't do this. I need His grace. The more aware of Him you are, the less aware of you you are. The more you realize, hey, I can't do this. But He can. The bigger He gets, the smaller you get. Hebrews 4 tells us something we all know, but very few people really do. Verse 16. Let us therefore come boldly. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. Now, why don't people come boldly to the throne of grace? Guilt, pride, condemnation. But why do you need grace? Is that not a contradiction? Why would he tell us to come boldly to the throne of grace? What is grace? Grace is something uh, that nobody owes you. It's, It's unmerited favor. It's things you don't deserve when you've messed up. 
So why wouldn't you come boldly? You know you messed up. So you might as well come to him and say, hey, God, here comes back to the he exists thing. And he's there with you all the time. Guess what? He already knew you messed up. This is not a surprise to him. Where, what throne do you think you're going to? Back to who do you think he is? That question I asked you at the very front of the service. This is really who you think he is. Boldly to the throne of grace. This is who you think God is. And he don't know that you blew it yesterday. You got to let him know. Right? But guess what? You might as well come up here and admit it. Because just like I can see you right here, he saw it. Just like I can see Dave right here, I could see him yesterday. He saw what you did yesterday. He saw what you did the day before. So you might as well come and say, God, I need your grace. I blew it. You knew I blew it. Help me get over this. Help me straighten it out. Now I got my rent due. You were trying to deal with me not to spend that money, but I did it anyway. Now I need your help. I talked about them. I know they're my family member, but I did it anyway. Oh, God, have mercy on me. Don't let me reap that. Give me grace to fix this. Tell me what to do. Tell me how to fix it. Tell me how to deal with this situation. Tell me how to get that house over there. He's not holding it back from you. He's giving it to you. You're holding it back. How long... Did Jesus stay in the wilderness? Was Jesus tempted? Reckon there's any similarity between 40 years being tempted in the wilderness, 40 days Jesus being tempted in the wilderness. Duh. Reckon, if you don't murmur and complain for 40 years, you might come out in 40 days like Jesus. Or reckon if you do murmur and complain for 40 years, you can stay in it for 40 years. Who is it left up to? God doesn't want you to stay there. Jesus came out in the what? Power of the Spirit. After being tempted for 40 days. The children of Israel, what happened to them? They 
no longer existed after theirs. Perished. Now, one or the other is going to happen to you. Every person will be tested. That's why you have required reading. How strong you are when the test comes makes all the difference in the world as to how you're able to stand. Now, you can come through it in 40 days or 40 years or never come through it at all and go through this whole life just like they did their whole lives and die and go to heaven. Or you can come through this trial in 40 days and overcome it. Trials are faith trials. They're not sickness trials. These were faith tests for Jesus. These were faith tests for the children in the wilderness. Did they say they were sick? There was not one sick among them. It's faith test for you and what you do with them. It's how you wake up tomorrow morning and you say, God, I know you exist. I'm going to take this step of faith and you're going to be there with me with your grace. Here we go, God. It's up to you. But you got to know he's there with you and quit depending on yourself. Got news break, news flash. You can't do it. He never expected you to do it. And that's what's happening so much of the time. You're trying to do it in your own strength and you can't. We were never intended. He never meant for us to do things by ourselves. That's why he sent Jesus. But that was the whole point. We're to be strong and the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of. Then we can stand against. He didn't say stand out here and just fall. You cannot stand against the devil by yourself. He never intended that. But people are trying to do it and they're getting defeated and defeated and defeated. The only way you can stand is with him. But people get up and they don't even read one chapter a day. And they expect to stand in the strength of God. They don't pray for five minutes and they expect, expect to be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. They have no word wherewith to stand. Just because you got fed last month don't mean you're going to be strong today. Just because I ate yesterday don't mean I'm going to be strong today. you got to feed on the Word. And the stronger your tests are, the more you need to feed. Karen, just yesterday, I'm sure she won't mind me telling this. I tell on them all the time. She was going to go to the funeral yesterday, or the home going of Brother Kelly. And I called her, and I said, who all is going? And she said, I'm staying in. I've got some symptoms that's trying to attack me. 
So I called her last night and I said, how you doing? She said, I got in the Word all day long on healing. I read my healing scriptures all day long. Well, she's not a dummy. She's got more healing scriptures in her than most people. She went to healing school for years and years and years and years with Keith. But what did she do yesterday? By today, she's up and she's here. And last night I was talking to her. She was all healed. She said the Hoaglands brought her home organic pizza last night. And she told me all about it. She's doing real good by the time last night came around. You know? But she didn't lay there and feel sorry for herself and say, oh, woe is me. I'm sick. Somebody pity me. She knew what to do. She got her healing scriptures out and she read them. The moment you begin to think you're strong without those things, you're going under, sister. If you need finances, your job should be this afternoon, go home, get your Bible out, find every scripture on finances that you can find, study it, know it, read it. You need healing, go home, do a study on healing. You need your kids to be doing good, go home, study about kids. It don't come from having heard, it comes from hearing. And that's how His grace comes. Just because you heard it last year don't mean you're strong in it today. God is able to do it. But He cannot do it apart from us. It takes us. It takes us doing our part. We've got to step out and go to that tax assessor's office and file the papers. We've got to get in our healing scriptures. He's got to have something to work with. We can't lay in the bed and say, woe is me. My whole life's a mess and everything's attacking me. Get up. Stir yourself up. Maybe you're attacked in every area. Okay, well, today start on the healing. Tomorrow start on the finances. But do something. Give him something to work with. Or do like the children of Israel and moan and groan and complain and see how many people's going to feel sorry for you for how long. You won't have many friends that way. You'll find out how quickly friends disperse. Do it. Get in faith. Overcome. What does Revelation say? I'll skip all these pages. See for you. We'll get to them another time. But I know they're here somewhere. Let's see where they are. I know I got them somewhere. Anyway, in Revelation, here they are. In Revelation, it says, He that overcomes and keeps my words, I'll give power to the nations. He that overcomes, the same will be clothed in white raiment. He that overcomes, uh, I'll make a pillar in the temple. To him that overcomes, I will grant to sit with me in my throne. In other words, You've got to overcome. You can't just sit there and die. Well, you can if you want to. I wouldn't suggest it. I'm not a quitter. I never got anywhere by quitting. Don't expect anybody to do anything for you. David didn't. What did he do? He encouraged himself in the Lord. You have a Bible. How many of you have a Bible? Get it out. Turn that TV off. Overcome in yourself. Don't expect your spouse to do it. Don't expect your kids to do it. It's great if you have people that help you. 
But do it for yourself. And you'll find out how different you'll be. How different your life will be. Then God's grace will be there to help you to see things. And to help you to know things. And to help you overcome in every area. No matter what it is. If you're going through a test or a trial. God is greater than that test or trial. He's bigger than that. But he needs you to help him with it. He will only do it the moment you get in faith. Just that moment. His grace only works by your faith. That moment. You take a tiny step. He'll open the windows of heaven and pour you out answers. Pour you out grace. But it takes your faith. It takes you taking that tiny step. Can you do it? Stand up with me.